Welcome to a Pulp Event Podcast, brought to you by the PulpNet, your link to the online world of the Pulp Magazines for over 25 years. Learn more about the Pulp Magazines through articles, blogs, bibliographies, links, over 100 episodes of this podcast, and much more, at thepulp.net. In this Pulp Event Podcast, Morgan Holmes, an expert on fictioneer Robert E. Howard and his works, discusses sword and sorcery stories appearing in Weird Tales. 2023 marked the 100th anniversary of the fantasy and horror fiction magazine, Weird Tales. This podcast was recorded on August 3rd at PulpFest 2023 in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Well, I'm talking about my favorite uh, genre of fiction, sword and sorcery. You give me a stack of paperbacks on a Saturday afternoon with Jeff Jones and Frazetta covers of Barbarians, I'm a happy man. And uh, just a bit, you know, um, a personal background. I first read Sword and Sorcery back in the 70s. My older brother had the old pyramid paperback, The Ghoul Keepers, and there was an Elac of Atlantis story, Spawn of Dagon. And I actually read that before I ever read Conan. And uh, yeah, I just, I just like the attitude of the, uh, the genre. So we'll talk about here, you know, Conan and Cthulhu. Basically, it comes down with weird tales. It's Conan and Cthulhu. That's why we go there. Uh, I you know, started reading Robert E. Howard, you know, first read Conan, started reading his other stuff, and then I got into Lovecraft. Took a couple tries to get into Lovecraft, and then a, uh, a very important book in my life was Tales of the Cthulhu Mythos by August Derleth, an Arkham House book. Read that, and that kind of opened up everything, and I went from there. I, I was in college here at University of Pittsburgh, and I started buying pulps down at Ides. And uh, I would give plasma twice a week, go down, you know, Saturday and, and uh, buy pulps, you know. So uh, uh, with that, so it, it just, you know, everything, everything about weird tales that we go into, it's these two guys. And, and they are interconnected, I'll kind of get to at the end. So, um, so you know, 19, uh, late 24, Farnsworth Wright takes over, gets it to a pulp size from bedsheet. And just starts throwing everything up on the wall to see what sticks. You know, what's interesting is the 20s are very, very, um, there's a wide range of stuff that ran in weird tales. Uh, you know, you, you, you got your uh, insect stories. I mean, it could almost be an anthology of insect uh, attack stories going on. Uh, there's just these, these uh, uh, fantastic adventure uh, going on. A fair number of lost race uh, stories and serials going on. And... Um, my personal favorite of the WTF, what is he thinking? Uh, a story so bad it's good. And uh, the time will come. You have uh, these uh, women, uh, aviators, driving these, uh, flying these cybernetic chickens. The Chinese have conquered the, conquered the United States. And um, the men go up for the harem, and the women are like uh, Amelia Earhart. I mean, it's, it's just so bad it's good. It needs to be reprinted. And... Um, now, what, something you get in uh, pretty quick is the gothic stories. You know, probably a, a Poe influence, uh, like this one here, where you get these stories. They're kind of set in medieval times. Um, you know, kind of not really blood and thunder yet. Uh, but you know, there, there, that was there is some action in that story, the Supreme Witch. Um, e. Hoppin Price, uh, a swordsman. Uh, that's a pretty good story. The first of the Pierre d'Artois. Uh, stories, and uh, that's actually set in modern times. But um, sword and sorcery it was a term uh, created by Fritz Leiber in 1961. It was in response to Michael Moorcock's request for 
an expression to and this is in quotes to describe the fantasy subgenre featuring muscular heroes and violent conflict with a variety of villains, chiefly wizards, witches, evil spirits, and other creatures whose powers are unlike the heroes, supernatural. And uh, for that, and uh, I like to say, sword and sorcery is um, basically it ultimately goes back to Sir Walter Scott meets Edgar Allan Poe. Uh, for that. And, uh, you know, generally the protagonist uh, encounters the supernatural. The, um, you know, my, my, one of my definitions, Sword and Sorcery is a f uh, fictional action adventure story with fantastic elements with an emphasis on horror set in a, a historical, pseudo-historical, or imaginary world. Good Sword and Sorcery has a strong horror element in it uh, for that. So it's, it's um, so we get the... Uh, um, here, um, Werewolf of Ponkert, and by H. Warner Munn. You get these, these stories that are kind of gothic. Um, you know, the case of Werewolf of Conk, uh, Ponkert, 1925, July issue, and then the Werewolf's Daughter, October through November, 1928. Um, there's some sword slinging and action going on in there. So, I mean, you know, Munn was there. This issue also has the first story by Robert E. Howard. It's a caveman story. Uh, Wright had mentioned in the Erie in late 24, he'll take caveman stories as long as there's not dinosaurs, which is kind of a shame because um, uh, I like dinosaurs with cavemen, but you know, he was trying to be paleontologically uh, correct uh, for that. Um, let's see here. Um, Howard uh, wasn't real prolific in Weird Tales. The Lost Race was 1927, uh, and then we get... Uh, Red Shadows of Solomon Kane in August 1928. Here's a couple of bizarre things I found. Um, uh, this one is it's very surrealistic. It's almost like a stream of consciousness, but it is sword and sorcery. It's one of these forgotten stories. Um, another one, guy remembers he's a, uh, on the galley with Odysseus. Uh, going on another forgotten story. Um, here we go, probably the first real, real... Uh, sword and sorcery story uh, with Call of Atlantis, uh, fighting the serpent men and uh, Weird Tales, and that was June 29. And at that point, Howard, uh, he had um, four stories in 1928, five stories in 1929. A critical thing that happens, 1930, Howard writes the Farnsworth right to get Lovecraft's address. They start corresponding. And that kind of opened things up. It, it was a weird relationship um, going on. It's a Solomon Kane uh, story from 1930. Um, then we get into Turlough O'Brien with that axe is upside down the way it's uh, uh, should be, you know, fight, fighting the uh, the Vikings there. But um, you know, Wright had this this um, relationship with um, Lovecraft where you know he he, he just uh, he would reject stuff. Other people start writing Lovecraftian stories. Wright takes them, you know, including Howard. Howard starts writing Cthulhu Mythos. And he starts uh, getting more stories into weird tales. And um, the, uh, let's see here, that, yeah, that, um, you got the dark man there. And then um, the, um, so we get, we get up to Conan. And Howard had been writing uh, uh, Crusader stories for Oriental Stories and Magic Carpet Magazine. And I kind of view Conan is he takes the Crusader stories, mixes them in with the Lovecraftian Horror, you got Conan. You got the cosmic horror. 1930, Howard starts to, you know, interacting with Lovecraft, and, they, and they're going back and forth. What, what is cosmic horror? 
And so you, you kind of go from the Gothic, and you still got the Gothic element going on. You know, you got the ruins, the castles, things like that. But you get the, uh, you know, you get the uh, otherworldly creatures, interdimensional creatures. You know, and also, uh, so you got, you know, Conan at the end of 1932 uh, takes off immediately. And uh, let's see, there were 17 stories with Conan, um, including two three-part serials, one-part serial, two-part two serial, and one five-part novel. And Howard had five stories in Weird Tales in 1932, six stories in 1933 uh, going on. And he Hoffman Price later wrote in Ammer that Conan had saved more than once Weird Tales was on the verge of going under. So, uh, you know, between uh, Seabury Quinn and then Howard had worked his way up uh, going on there. Queen of the Black Coast, uh, you know, the Margaret Brundage covers uh, going on here. There's an interior. The... Um, Howard deliberately started working in the flagellation scenes to grab the cover. He figured Quinn was doing it. He'd do it, too. He actually had some books on flagellation, and, you know, he, he worked that in there. He said, you know, I'm, I'm going to grab the cover. And, and Which Shall Be Born, that's a story where Conan gets uh, crucified. And, um, yeah, again, you got a Lovecrafty and Beastie going on that Conan takes out at the end uh, there. And I think uh, that's Hugh Rankin, uh, if I'm correct. And... Um, Devil and Iron, the first Robert E. Howard story I ever read, and I have a, have a fondness for it. And the, um, here we go, People of the Black Circle, very, very well uh, thought of story. The interior there uh, from that. Uh, another flagellation, or actually, no, uh, Shadows and Zambula. It's almost like a serial killer type thing, you know, if you were to switch it to like a, a seedy hotel in some out-of-the-way place, you know, because this guy's uh, bringing people into this inn and doing very bad things uh, for that. This is from Hour of the Dragon, which is the only Conan novel. And uh, what happened in 1934, um, Dennis Archer, publisher in uh, England, had uh, inquired uh, about having Howard, and he sent in for this uh, anthology. They weren't doing that. He began working on Almeric, which is then left unfinished. Un, uh, and my personal belief is Otto Binder finished it later on, uh, doing a, looking at textual analysis. Uh, and uh, then Howard wrote um, Hour of the Dragon Dennis Archer ceases publication so he's left with this novel he ends up sending to uh, Arnsworth Wright and it was over five periods from late 35 into 1936 you don't see this illustration too often that's why I uh, scanned it in uh, for that uh, the last uh, Conan story Red Nails a three-parter again more um, um, kind of like a homoerotic type uh, cover to it, uh, I guess you could call that, you know, the pastels with, um, with uh, that. And then uh, a very funky looking dinosaur by Napoli for red nails. And uh, for that, that's the thing we're trying to figure out, you know, what is the creature in red nails? It's kind of like a, like a, a carnivorous stegosaurus, but you know, maybe it's a dimetrodon or an archosaur and uh, stuff like that. Uh, so it, it uh, and then Howard at this point had had it with Weird Tales. They owed, uh, Wright ordered owed a lot of money, and uh, he had written to uh, Ehop and Price stating, you know, is Weird Tales a racket at this point? You know, and he he was going into uh, the adventure, other stuff like that. But you know, you get this brand new genre uh, going on. Everything was new, kind of uh, putting it in. Now the other person I like to call Howard and. Um, Clark Ashton Smith, the Jock Cannon Boaz. Anybody know who Jock Cannon Boaz is? It's the two uh, 
pillars that stood in the temple of uh, King Solomon. And uh, the means to establish and in strength. And so these are the two guys that got it going. Uh, Smith had a lot, a lot of stories and um, weird tales. And uh, the first story, he had had some poems. And then he also, he had, um, his first story is The Ninth Skeleton, which is kind of a weird modern story. His first kind of quasi-sword and sorcery is end of the story from May 1930, set in this uh, mythical place called Averroin in uh, France. And most of the stories are set uh, anywhere from the late Roman Empire up to like the 1700s. And uh, the, uh, there was actually 10 stories in set in Averroinian weird tales from 1930 to 1941. And, uh, and there's another story in uh, the Arkham collection, Genius Loci. And there's also a poem. And... Um, he, uh, the stories uh, are more gothic, though there is one that I'll have a picture of that is definitely sword and sorcery. Uh, he had four series uh, set in these mythical areas. This one is from Hyperborea, which is set in the distant past. And the, the tale of Satampazirus, this was actually rejected by Amazing Stories in 1929. And uh, I think uh, Smith had to cut it down a little bit. And, um, and, and he kind of has, you know, I, I like to say Howard has the... Uh, Achilles archetype, where Smith with Satanta Zeros, he's kind of the rascal, um, maybe the Odysseus or the Ulysses might be a, a way to call this archetype. Yeah, but before Cujo the Clever, you had Satanta Zeros, and um, his buddy, something very bad happens to him. They're, they're going to loot a, um, a city that's been abandoned for good reason, and good, good story, and this, this is pretty much, you know, actual sword and sorcery. Uh, the Beast of Averroin, out and out sword and sorcery. Great story. I love that story. Uh, the, uh, this cosmic creature in medieval uh, Averroinia. And this one, uh, the main character is a wizard. And so again, Clark Ashton Smith, uh, he has the first rascal type character. He has the wizard, which um, I'm trying to, any of you guys gamers out there? Um, Appendix N. Is Clark Ashton Smith in Appendix N? Okay. Okay. Yeah, I, I wasn't sure. I couldn't remember if he's Appendix N, but you know the the wizard character, you know it it kind of goes back to uh, Clark Ashton Smith uh, for that. Weaver and the Vault, the Zothic story set in the distant future. The sun has grown dim. Uh, there's one big massive continent, a few islands, and. Uh, uh, sorcery has returned and supernatural stuff and new gods or maybe they're old gods but under new names and that's actually there's more stories in that, that series than anything else uh, the Clark Ashton Smith had 133 stories in Weird Tales and 40 of the stories are associated with his cycles uh, going on there and uh, a lot of them are kind of like tales of irony of, of characters getting their just desserts and others are just bad things happening to the wrong person at the wrong time. Uh, supernatural uh, for that. So another early Virg Virgil Finley. And uh, yeah, Virgil uh, wasn't that good. It's very static. Uh, looks like he took some different pictures and kind of did the line drawings there. Necromancy and, Necromancy and not. Uh, that's a good story. Uh, the Dark Eidolon. Another, you could say it's uh, sword and sorcery. Uh, and it's just a, a tale of vengeance, which you see with uh, Clark Ashton Smith. You know, just real, real good language. I mean, Smith is very, very tight 
with his prose. I mean, it, uh, Isaac Asimov complained about him in um, before the Golden Age, where my view is uh, that's why we got uh, dictionaries to look up that stuff, Isaac. You know, it is. Yeah, you know, there was friction between the weird guys and the science fiction guys and the pulps in the '30s, and uh, you know, the the um, I think the weird fiction guys kind of viewed the science fiction guys as uh, big city uh, nerd boys, you know, obnoxious nerd boys. Uh, okay, C.L. Moore, Black God's Kiss, or Jarrell of Jewelry. I am not a fan of the series. I think they're overlong, overwritten. The climaxes have a tendency to uh, turn into word salad. Um, you know, I like to say that uh, people like the idea of Jarrell, they just don't like reading Jarrell. It really hasn't been in print that often. Uh, the uh, Lovecraft liked them, but that was Lovecraft. Um, you know, she's in the medieval France. Um, the um, she kind of keeps it vague. You know, it's kind of hard to pin down. You know, I figure it's after the after the first crusade because the first story she puts on this uh, uh, coat of mesh mail that uh, is from made by the Saracens and uh, had come back from one of the crusades. Uh, but basically, uh, she gets taken prisoner and uh, she get there's a doorway to a, uh, another uh, dimension that's rather hellish and she brings vengeance on Guillaume who takes her prisoner and generally Jarrell is kind of a not real active there's one the beginning of one story she's using a sword she's generally a vessel for vengeance uh, in this case uh, to get it back for herself and in the other stories she's just kind of like you know the, this you know, supernatural being gives her this thing it's like here take out my enemy for that, like I said, Nixon D. Alice, um, eight stories and weird tales. Sapphire Goddess is a bizarre um, story. Daryl said that uh, it reads like, um, would you, how'd you put it, Daryl? A merit on LSD? Yeah, yeah. It's, 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 it, it moves. I mean, it's different. Um, actually, uh, I, I tried to find Nixon D. Alice's house in Warren, Pennsylvania. He was there in 1920. Somebody told me they looked up his uh, draft registration. And I think the house was gone, and I drove over there. But Dialis is probably a fake name. Uh, he kind of created this persona. And I always wondered if he was in trouble with the law, because he always lived in these out-of-the-way places. He was like out in Arizona for a while, and he was Warren uh, County, Pennsylvania, and then he was down in an out-of-the-way uh, part of Maryland. So, I, yeah, it, it's a mystery we'll never know. Uh, he wrote about three stories that are kind of uh, sword and sorcerish uh, for that, and they're fun. Um, you can always get um, DMR books reprinted all of uh, the Dallas stories in book form. Or if you find the very hard to find now, uh, Echoes of Valor, number two, or was it number three, has uh, three of the stories that Wagner uh, reprinted uh, for that. The uh, Not Lovecraftian at all, just off in its own tangent, uh, just very, very unique uh, for that. Um, Magic Carpet Magazine. I used to correspond with Hugh Cape. And back in the early 90s, I asked Hugh in a letter, I said, hey, did you ever write any historical adventure? He said, yeah, I had one called The Desert Host. A couple months later, I get a photocopy of it from Hugh. And uh, this is set in Babylon. Had he added just a little bit of supernatural, it would have been sword and sorcery. I mean, it has the feel of it. And one of the best ways of killing off the villain I've ever seen in a story. And uh, that's a story that deserves greater... Um, just to be known and reprinted uh, for that. Um, Robert E. Howard dies in 1936, death by 380 Colt uh, pistol to the head. 
Clifford Ball writes to Weird Tales saying something needs to be done. Some people were asking, hey, maybe we ought to continue Conan. Farnsworth writes wisely, said no way. Uh, so you got Clifford Ball is, is uh, this fan turned writer. Uh, his first story, Do Are the Accursed, uh, was there. He gets his first cover. This is Virgil Finley. Uh, looks like Johnny Weissmuller. Very, very posed. Um, uh, not a bad story. Uh, Paul had good atmosphere. Um, action scenes were a little clunky. Uh, he only had three sword and sorcery stories, six total in weird tales. You know, it's just a shame that he uh, didn't get a chance to do more. Um, H. Warner Munn said in the 70s in an interview with Jessica Amanda Salmonson that when Wright was gone in 1940, uh, uh, Dorothy McGillwraith pretty much purged a lot of the uh, Wright writers. And so maybe um, Clifford Ball was part of that purge. He ended up, he served in World War II and then he drowned in 1946. So it's one of those what ifs that he uh, you know, maybe got back to writing. Uh, for that. And DMR Books has reprinted his stuff. Here's a Virgil Finley one uh, from The Goddess Awakes, the, the second story about Rald IV. He's a mercenary instead of a thief. He's kind of following the Conan template of thief to mercenary. Um, the, um, then we get Henry Cutner. Um, Cutner and Robert Block carried weird tales in the late 30s after Lovecraft was gone and Howard was gone. And Smith pretty much quit writing. His parents had died. He didn't have the need to have to write to make money. Uh, Cutner had written two stories, he said, about Alfred of Wessex. I, I'm assuming Alfred the Great. And Wright rejected both of them. And so he dashed off Thunder and the Dawn, he said, as a parody of the wandering swordsman. So I don't know if he had in mind like Dumas or maybe uh, Raphael Sabatini or if it was Conan that he was, you know, thought he was parodying. I really don't see the satire in the stories. There's, uh, there's four stories. Uh, Thunder and the Dawn is a two-parter, and uh, it's a kitchen sink uh, set in ancient Atlantis. Um, here we got Virgil Finley using Earl Flynn as his model, and that's probably the, my favorite uh, Elac of Atlantis story. Um, the stories are boilerplate uh, Warner Brothers um, historicals. You know, if you have ever seen um, Earl Flynn as uh, Robin Hood, when you read the stories, that, that's what it looks like, is, is the costumes and the like. Um, I think there's Vikings in two st one story, uh, um, Cutner like uh, Vikings. But they're not bad. It, actually, the supernatural element, very Lovecraftian, that's probably the best part about it. Elak is kind of, um, not a lot of characterization, he's just kind of uh, described as lean and wolfish, and that's about it. He's, he uh, looks different in the different uh, things. That's a nice interior uh, there. I think that's Beyond the Phoenix. And uh, the last uh, ELAC story, a couple years later, it was actually announced in 1938. And obviously with the shakeup at Weird Tales, uh, this got delayed. And this is one of the right uh, holdovers in the McGillwraith era. You know, and he's just kind of, you know, they had this uh, um, barbarian um, cover that they used uh, for that. Um, how many people knew that Robert Block wrote a sword and sorcery story? Probably none of you. I do. And uh, the, uh, the Dark Isle, 1939, Block had a fascination with Druids. And this is about the Romans uh, attacking um, the Isle of Demona with the Druidism. Was that Agricola, Daryl, that, that led that? Was that Agricola that led the attack on. Yeah. 
for that. It's a good story. I mean, Bach actually, uh, he had another story about Druids and strange uh, stories that's set in Rome. I, I think, I'm trying to remember if that's with Tiberius or Caligula. But um, yeah, he, he actually, you know, at that point, 39, uh, Bach was trying different, there's a pirate story, a weird pirate story in 1939, a weird tale. So Bach was experimenting with different type of stuff kind of coming out from the uh, Lovecraft's uh, shadow. And uh, for that, you can see Virgil Finley's getting better here. And uh, for that. Now, um, Seabury Quinn, probably the main writer for Weird Tales, he had about five or six stories that were, could be called sword and sorcery. This one's set in the future. Um, the Mongols or the Han have conquered the uh, United States, North America. It's kind of back to a barbarism type thing. Not a bad story. Uh, for that, let me see here. His stories were Globe of Memories, Rhodes, which is a sword and sorcery Santa Claus um, Christmas story. And good story. Goddardamarang, which is uh, this one, and The Gentle Werewolf, which is a medieval one. And, um, you know, the Seabury uh, Quinn was kind of like a middling, uh, middle grade pulp writer, the, the type of writer that uh, Farnsworth Wright seemed to be comfortable with. You know, you've got like Arthur J. Burke's. Seabury Quinn and Otis Adelbert Klein seem to be, you know, those are writers that, that write seem to like to run in weird tales uh, for that. Um, that's what Hannes Bach starts writing. This is set in the far future, has sword and sorcerer's elements. Uh, Thomas P. Kelly, who was a Canadian writer, had three serials in weird tales. And that was pretty much just in the uh, Canadian pulps and wrote a lot there uh, for that. And uh, that's not bad. And that's been reprinted by DMR Books. Um, this is an Edmund Hamilton story, uh, Dreamer's World from 1941, more Hannes Bach, and uh, actually set on another planet, but for all intents and purposes, it's uh, sword and sorcery uh, going there. And Hamilton was getting better. He was kind of, wrote his stuff rather fast, uh, and then in about the mid-30s, his story started improving in quality, and some of them rather lyrically, uh, just more poetic. And uh, this one's a little bit more pulpy, blood and thunder going on there. Yeah, but nice illustration there. And then, um, and then he had a series in the mid and late 40s kind of tied in with mythology. And they're not, depending on your, your, your um, definition of uh, sword and sorcery, they, they kind of he ties in like one, one stories with Irish mythology, another was Babylonian. And uh, they're, they're a fun series. And a couple of them kind of, you know, stray into the edge of sword and sorcery there. And uh, for that, and that was that was towards the end of the last of his stuff in Weird Tales. And this is, um, oh God, I'm drawing a blank on the um, um, artist. He only did a few covers. He died young. Dolgoff? Yeah, Dolgoff. Yeah, uh, and great, great. Uh, his interiors are better uh, for that. And then uh, this one here, Twilight of the Gods, and you know, a, a modern character. What goes on here? These aren't like antediluvian heroes. These are like a modern. Generally, um, a lot of times they're like guys like in World War II that get transported to these, or they're explorers or adventurers into these mythical realms. And this is set in Asgard. I mean, you know, you could say this is out and out sword and sorcery. And uh, there's there's an interior there, and uh, pretty good one. So it uh, so the the uh, you know you got uh, sword and sorcery with with the end of Lovecraft, and and I'll make it here, you know. Sword and sorcery is, you got the shadow of Lovecraft in the background. His ideas, you know, you have Howard running with it, and then Clark Ashton Smith with the cosmicism 
moving in. And you know, Seal Moore, you know, her stuff has a Lovecraftian element. Uh, Henry Cutner, uh, also, so, you know, Robert Block. Uh, with all these, so it's kind of like you know, yeah, you got Smith and Howard, but you got like Lovecraft sitting behind him, you know, with their letters and everything. And, and Lovecraft eagerly would uh, incorporate stuff in his stories. You know, he'll mention like Hyperborea, you know, in the Shadow of a T- Out of Time. He mem- mentions Cromya, the Chimerian chieftain from 10,000 BC. Um, Clark Ashton Smith has the Double Shadow, which is the um, uh, the cursed uh, relic from the serpent men uh, that call Foughton the serpent king. And so there's this borrowing back and forth uh, going on here. And, uh, but you, you do see the influence going on. Um, you know, unknown ransom sword and sorcery. You got uh, Norvell Page, Fritz Leiber. Oh, and, and Farnsworth Wright rejected Fritz Leiber. He rejected Adept's Gambit, uh, which I'm not a big fan of that story. It's a little overlong, I thought. Uh, but it is surprising, if anything else, that ended up an unknown was rejected by Wright, and uh, just one of those those blind spots that he had uh, for that. But the uh, the uh, then you got the Jack Williamson um, Theseus novel, that sword and sorcery and unknown. But what you see uh, in some of the science fiction showing up uh, in the science fiction pulse, the influence of Howard, uh, Lee Brackett, Gardner Fox, and Paul Anderson. I mean, you'll read it in, you know, you'll, like uh, Sword of the Seven Stars by Gardner Fox. It reads like a hungover Robert E. Howard and Edmund Hamilton collaborated. And uh, it's a fun story, though. I, I, I like the Gardner Fox stories. Uh, you'll see little elements of in Lee Brackett uh, stories. You know, and she even has a Conan in uh, Orly the Red Mist, and she wrote it as an homage uh, it, it, to uh, Robert E. Howard. And uh, Paul Anderson had three stories that are very, very Howard-esque. And this is the one he was ashamed of. He would never allow to be reprinted, The Virgin of Alcarian. And it's just straight out blood and thunder. You know, and Anderson would do a little hand-waving, you know, throw an extra moon in the sky. Uh, maybe a little bit of pseudoscience instead of out and out, you know, Lovecraftian uh, supernatural or cosmicism going on. But, yeah, you can see the, the effect of Howard... Uh, uh, going on in uh, Planet Stories. and uh, Or there's another bonkers one, um, Bryce Walton, who wrote a lot for like the, uh, a lot of, wrote a lot of Westerns, and he was like in Manhunt Magazine and Elbert Hitchcock's in the 50s. And he has this gonzo story called Princess of Chaos, and he has this half Martian, half human barbarian thrown into the arena in Venus, and he cuts his way out, and he's in the swamp, and this giant bat attacks him, and he, he goes up and kills this, the bat and cuts off its wing, and then kills this giant snail and makes a sail, makes a boat out of this uh, snail shell and his bat wing. And uh, yeah, it's, it's a story that uh, needs to be better known. It's so bad, it's good. And uh, that was in Planet Stories. It's in the same issue as um, Sword of the Seven Stars by Gardner Fox. And so take a look tomorrow at the dealers, see if you can find that. Uh, for that, but you know, even here you have like a novel of barbarian worlds, you know. So there was, uh, and I think this was when um, after Peacock was gone, it was the science fiction writer wrote it. Uh, it's a Wonderful Life or Twilight Zone. Jerry Bixby. Yeah, I think it was Bixby was the editor here, and so you'll see more of this type of stuff. They're like around 1950 to 52 in issues of. Yeah, you know, I, I was eagerly about 30 years ago buying issues of Planet Story, just going through and reading them and 
looking for you know pseudo sword and sorcery stories uh, in the magazine for that and um, the uh, you know and then you got the dead point because of science fiction and yeah you might have a little bit there with with the C.L. Moore and Henry Cutner uh, science fantasy stories and startling uh, you know a little bit of that influence carrying over but you know it's very much a, a, a 1930s thing um, very much a weird tales thing and it was just one of those cases where um, Howard kind of forged his own thing you got Karka Ashton Smith doing his own thing you know and they created this wonderful genre that uh, you know has its peaks and troughs and uh, it um, you know it's, it's, it's a lot of fun uh, for that and um, for that so I'll just open up to any questions insults or whatever <laughs> any questions yeah I didn't hear you mention Henry Cutner's Prince Rainer stories. Those weren't uh, strange stories. I kind of kept it uh, uh, just on weird tales, but uh, those are 1939. Um, most people seem to think that they're better uh, than ELAC. Uh, they're a little darker, and Carl Edward Wagner even kind of speculated there might even be some influence on Moorcock's um, Elric stories. I didn't hear the gentleman's question, so I don't understand your answer. Oh, he was asking about uh, the Prince Rainer stories and Strange Stories by Henry Cutner. And, and also Strange Stories had some Celtic-themed stories by uh, Lloyd Arthur Eschbach. And I asked him he, uh, in a phone call, I said, you know, are, were you influenced by Howard on this Celtic stuff? And he said, no, it was Fiona MacLeod he had read. And so I hunted down Fiona MacLeod and started reading Fiona MacLeod, who had a kind of this, some stories are kind of like a proto-sword and sorcery going on there. And um, those were actually uh, incorporated. Eschbach wrote some fantasy novels, and the one story was incorporated into the novel from Del Rey. You mentioned um, with Princess of Chaos, it was so bad it was good. Yeah. Was, are there any more stories, either in the sword and sorcery genre or in general in your research, that you would say... I wish they got out more. These are so bad, they're good. You've got to love it. Well, there, there are other uh, sword and sorcery stories that should be better known, not so much bad. For example, how many knew that um, August Durleth kind of veered in? He has these six stories and weird tales called um, uh, Tales of the City-States. They're set in Renaissance Italy, and they're very Poe-esque, but they actually kind of predate um, Clark, what Clark Ashton Smith was doing with Averonia. And but you know some of these these there's other stories that are sword and sorcery kind of March 1928 the Black Angel by C Ed Rowley uh, May 1928 Melchior makes magic by Charles Henry Mackintosh um, there's one Sidney Toxvig the Devil's Martyr it, 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 it's an interesting Gothic that almost gets there um, Battle of Toads by David Keller in his uh, Cornwall series those are more like um, kind of based on uh, James Branch Cable, uh, kind of more of a, a different type of style. It's not that heavy brooding type thing. Um, yeah, The Land of Lure by Edward uh, Leaston Bell. Um, the uh, the Galley Slave by Lieutenant Edgar Gardner. Uh, Prince Borgia's Mass by uh, August Durleth. The Red Sail by Charles Hill and Craig. It's a Viking story from October 31 from Weird Tales. And um, that's the same issue that includes Gods of Bell Sagath by Robert E. Howard, and uh, The Laughing Duke by Wallace West, and uh, The Last Magician by David H. Keller. So, I mean, yeah, there's almost enough just these one shots, you could almost fill out a small paperback for that, and especially if you were to do all the August Durleth stories. 
So yeah, there's stuff, and I'm still searching. I mean, I, I, I my big area is, is going through 1940 blue books. I mean, there's a guy, uh, Paul K. Johnstone, that wrote stuff set in uh, Dark Ages Britain that is almost sword and sorcery. And for that, uh, in reviewing all these stories, did you see any thematic developments or evolutions during this period? I would say mainly the Lovecraftian element. You know, once Howard got going with Conan and and um, Smith got going with uh, Hyperborean Zothic. You know, you get that cosmic horror element creeping in, as opposed to, like, say, 1928. It's almost like a Poe uh, Gothic imitation. And uh, for that, so, yeah, I mean, like I said, the shadow of Lovecraft is, uh, you know, you got Smith and Howard in front, you got Lovecraft behind, even though Lovecraft never really wrote a true sword and sorcery story. But the influence is there. Anybody else? Uh, you just mentioned an author that you said was reminiscent of James Branch Cabot. Yeah, that's David H. Keller, The Tales from Cornwall. K-E-L-L-E-R, David H. Keller, Dr. David H. Keller. Yeah, Daryl. I want to suggest another place where you might want to look. Uh, Fantastic Universe magazine. Yeah, there was a few in the 50s. There are a few, but I think it's, the ones that we know about are things like the Valor of Captain Vera by Foley. Yeah. And the various the camp uh, Conan things. Yeah. But there are probably a few things in there by writers that nobody remembers. Oh, yeah. I, I used to go through the Cockcroft uh, at the libraries and go through just through story titles and write them down in this uh, spiral notebook that I had. This is 40 years ago I was doing this. And say, you know, like Gardner Fox, Sword of the Seven Sons. And I'm looking at it, he's like, man, this, this could be sword and sorcery. It's Gardner Fox, and the story sounds like it. So, yeah, there's still stuff. Like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to make my way through uh, Blue Book. Uh, there's some uh, unknown writers that they're kind of more historical, but, boy, they're right on the edge. You know, there's this guy, DeWitt uh, Newberry, who wrote these Viking stories for Blue Book and an adventure in the 40s. And um, I think most sword and sorcery fans would enjoy reading them. I always got Dave Ritzland uh, emailing me. Wow, what do you got for me now? <laughs> yeah, right in the back. You've done a really great job of like sharing how the stories that were written were related to their uh, time that they wrote the stories. Are there any that come to mind for you that like just didn't fit? They were too far. They were projecting too far. That just seemed like. The audience didn't get it, but now seems applicable. Kind of hard to say, you know. You know, Robert E. Howard. It took a little bit to break in. You know, I think he had built his audience, so I think there was a there was a, a lead in time. Nothing that jumps out at me uh, that was just so far ahead. Um, you know, it, it, it just like I said. You know, Ehop and Price said Conan saved weird tales more than once. Uh, it's popular. Yeah, it was probably the most popular character next to Jules de Grandin in the mid-30s. Uh, the, um, and like I said, you got these gothic stories that are kind of more uh, backward-looking. Um, I don't know, maybe it's Thomas P. Kelly, A Million Years in the Future. I mean, that's pretty gonzo. And that, that's only been reprinted recently. So, um, though Kelly wasn't that great of a writer. You know, you get the benefit, you know, you had Smith that was a poet. Robert E. Howard was a poet. They had a way with working with language in a beautiful way. Um, Cutner's a little more clunky. Uh, Clifford Ball, just a shame, you know, that uh, he was a fan, fan writer. And he had three stories and, you know, what could have been, uh, you know, as far as that. Uh, but, 
Yeah, but nothing really jumped out at me that was just, uh, I, you know, probably there could have been stuff that Farnsworth Wright rejected. And actually that one uh, that I mentioned by the Edward uh, Earl uh, Leaston Bell, The Land of Lure from May 1930, is a very stream of consciousness. It's almost surrealistic. I mean, that could be one. And I think that was only about the only story. He had only like one or two stories in Weird Tales. You had the UB Cave story for Magic Carpet. Yeah. And Howard, I know, was a Magic Carpet. Yeah. You know what it was called, Oriental Adventures. Other, was it just money that Wright pulled the plug so fast on that magazine in less than two years? That it, what, repeat that last part. That, that Farnsworth Wright just dumped it and shut down the magazine in, in barely two years? Was it just money? Oh, no, it lasted about four years. Yeah, it limped on to, from 30 to 34, but it was just, you know, you got the depression going on. I think he was trying to jump in, you know, like um, Far East Adventures and these more niche adventure type things. It's an interesting magazine because you've got weird tales writers writing adventure fiction. Now, one I would love to track down it was uh, Kirk Mashburn wrote a historical called The Sword of Midian, and it was supposed to be in the next issue of Magic Carpet, and it never did. He started working on it in the 60s to turn it into a novel, and Glenn Lord saw the manuscript, he told me, and then... Um, Kirk Mashburn died, and I actually tried to track down his kids, and I wrote a letter to one, but I never got a response back to see if the manuscript might still exist. It'd be an interesting oddity to track down. When you were doing your research, did you notice any difference between how the stories were characterized or how they were themed between whether a man was writing them or a woman? Like, to see a more bright source stories read differently? Oh, very much so. She's very feminine. They're captivity stories. And uh, the way she went about, I mean, they're, they're, Jarrell was constantly getting abducted. And, I mean, I kept thinking of when I, I reread them about a year and a half ago, and it was a painful experience. And, uh, I, like I said, I'm not a fan of the series. Uh, but I kept thinking of um, the, the, the Sheik. I mean, I, I really wonder if, if uh, Seal Moore had read that, because Jarrell's constantly getting abducted. You know, she's supposed to be this hellish redhead and the like, and, you know, it's like, you know, as a friend of mine said, yeah, Guillaume took her and treated her rough, and she liked it. You know, because in the second story, she feels bad what she did to Guillaume. She said, oh, I love him, and she tries to undo it, release him from the curse. Thank you. You've been listening to a Pulp Event podcast, brought to you by the Pulp Net your link to the online world of the Pulp Magazines for over 25 years. Learn more about the Pulp Magazines through articles, blogs, bibliographies, links, over 100 episodes of this podcast, and much more, at thepulp.net. Also, look for the Pulp Net on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thank you for listening, and keep reading the Pulps. This Pulp Event Podcast is copyright 2023 by William P. Lampkin. All rights reserved.